0: It felt surreal. I remember thinking, how am I here on this stage here in the Vatican? How much does my community even know about this? How much does my community know that the son of a migrant from Birmingham, UK, British Muslim, was invited to the Vatican? It's about empowering another 100 Mohammeds to come forward and say, this is the space where we need to aspire to. We can enter the Vatican and be who we are and, and be embraced.
1: is anything you can get away with assalamualaikum and welcome to the one Foot in the sink podcast my name is Anis and foz is here assalamualaikum everyone and he's known as aerosol arabic it's muhammad ali Assalamu
2: assalamualaikum hello my friends
1: muslims. muslims muslim lifestyle
2: podcast what do you think the podcast is about I think it's about moving because you put your foot in the sink and you do a do. It's about a story called The Ghostbusters.
1: So Foz, if art is anything you can get away with, what kind of stuff do you get away with? I uh, can't say, can I? I've got away with it. Why would I want to bring it back
2: up? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way of seeing yourself out of the situation. Yeah, exactly. You, on the other hand, you're a fool guy, isn't it? So you, you can't get away with anything. What does that say about your
1: creativity? My creativity is pretty non-existent, as you guys will find out throughout this episode. Mohammed, you can probably get away with a lot of stuff with your art.
0: Well, I will say that through the arts, we're able to say things that you're not able to do through other, other mediums and other forms of expression. I mean, that's the power of art, isn't it? You're able to to kind of uh, go into different realms that, like, if uh, I'll use the word regular ordinary people aren't able to do and that's and that's the beauty of being an artist
2: yeah i agree if an easter dart, i bet he'll have loads of subtle kind of hints in there like foz is an idiot foz does this foz does that
1: i don't need to be too subtle about that <laughs> all right so are you guys ready for the opening question for this episode yeah, yeah let's, let's do go. This. let's go all right so this week's opening question is humans have discovered aliens living on another planet and are sending a spaceship as an envoy You've been asked to paint an image or a message on the spacecraft. What is your image or message? So I'll start with Fuzz. Cool. When I was thinking about this, I was
2: thinking about, you know, what, what kind of thing brings people together? Like, oh, it was quite peaceful. Like, what do people like to just chill out and do? And that's very popular in, on our planet. And I thought, I don't know why, I just thought coffee. So on the front of the ship, I'll have, we have coffee. And along the side, you'll have like logos of Tim Hortons, which is a famous Canadian brand. You have Costa on the side, and you tell them what coffee beans are. You uh, have all this have oh, about, <laughs> It's what we're selling, isn't it? What, like, what can we give to the aliens to create peace? So, you know, we've got coffee. Like, we can sit down. You're gonna send them like capitalistic brands. All right, let's let's go with coffee beans and you know the cocos and you know just all the. Um, different things that you need to make a good cup of coffee and then get them hooked on
1: caffeine and sit down and have a conversation interesting I, I don't know how I feel about that <laughs> 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 what about you Mohammed? what would be your message or your logo or your image
0: just bear with me here right because you might get a shock right when I say I would put the words just stay put don't come don't, <laughs> right I understand that might have some kind of interpretations of being quite racist, you know, like as in, "Don't come to us," you know, "you stay where you are." But I actually genuinely mean that in a in a non-racist kind of way. I mean, the amount of times I've been on, on my travels and I've met people who were like, "So how how can I come to the UK?" You know, uh, and and I've, <laughs> and I've genuinely spoken to some people and responded saying, "Listen, are you happy here?" I mean. You've got brilliant weather, yeah? You know, you don't have this rat race that we have, right? Your family's here, people are smiling. I said, look, why would you want to leave here? Don't chase this red passport. I want to move to where you are. So actually, sometimes, as we all know, the old expression of the grass is always greener on the other side. That's that's my message. I'd say, listen, guys, stay here. You know, you, you're, better, you're better off. You don't want the madness of our society, believe me.
1: That's so true, though. That's such a good point. That, that's spot on. I've been living in the Middle East for some time. And, you know, over here you see a lot of people from the eastern part of the world. And a lot of people want to go to the west. And they say, oh, man, you're so lucky, you know, you're, you're from the UK and so and So I want to go to the UK. And I look at them thinking, like, I'll come from the UK here, you know, like to escape the weather and the rat race and all that kind of stuff. Why do you want to go back there? So, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. The grass is always green on the other side. All right, so my answer is going to be a bit cringe, to be honest. What I'll have is a massive picture of an emoji with a smiley face <laughs> on the spacecraft because it is kind of alieny. It doesn't, it doesn't look very human, and it's got that smile. The smile is always good; it's always positive. So that when they, when the aliens see that, they know that we're not coming for the resources. We're not coming to like kill them all and take the land and you know steal everything from them. At least, when they see that image of some teeth and, and a smile, at least they they might, you know, be a bit more accepting of seeing us.
2: <laughs> it's going to depend on your execution of the art. If it's like a shady smile, is it like a proper welcoming
1: smile? If you execute that wrong, you could cause a war. <laughs> you know, if if we're gonna go to some alien territory, I think it's gonna be pretty much pretext for war. <laughs> So that's the opening questions done. So should we go
2: on to introduce our guest today? Yeah. Welcome, Muhammad Ali, and also known as the Aerosol Arabic.
0: Yeah, thank you. I I was known more so as that, but my identity is consistently evolving and I don't really use that name so much these days. I, I am simply Muhammad Ali, the artist. Yeah, just gone back to... So just using my good old name that I was born with.
2: Alhamdulillah. Before we continue on, I'm just going to read a bit about your profile then. So you're an award-winning artist, curator, a creative producer. You are regarded as a pioneer in Islamic street art movement, fusing street art with Islamic script and patterns. You have been awarded an MBE for services to art. You also run an organization called Soul City Arts. It's a hub that brings together artists, activists, and communities with the goal of transforming society. And in 2013, you were invited to the Vatican to take part in a TEDx presentation called Religious Freedom Today. So, on our show today, we want to talk about how your work has been recognized for building bridges between faith communities taking art to the people and inspiring a new generation to be bold and express their identities and ideas. Before we get on, let's start with telling us a little bit about yourself and where you're from.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't know where to start, really. I suppose um, I've been an artist for quite a while now. I mean, professionally, I've been in this game about, I'd say, easily about 17 years or so now when I kind of gave up the day job. But really I've been into arts ever since I was, you know, younger. So I remember when I was four or five years old, I was forever drawing and sketching, you know, it was art was my thing. So throughout my life, that's just been my strength. And like most people, I mean, I would always put to people that that I think most people were always creative when they were young. People would talk about I used to do art, right? How many times do you come across people who say, I used to do it. I was good. I was good at art. The reality is that many people have, have either forced themselves away from it. In fact, it seems like the natural state is for people to be creative and actually people are forced to become IT technicians or doctors or engineers. So I was one of those kids that I suppose just saw it through and I, I couldn't shake it out of my system. I, in fact, I didn't want to shake it out of my system and, Till this day, I am I'm, I'm a full time artist. Alhamdulillah, you know I'm quite fortunate, and I'm pleased that I'm still been able to uh, pull it off. I mean, even though, still, to be honest, when I say I'm an artist, I mean I studied at university level. I, I didn't do a degree in fine arts. I was a bit disillusioned, in fact, with the art art world because, you know, the very reason why society is often discouraged from going into the arts is because the reality is it's it's actually based on a very sensible kind of rationale, really, which is the fact is that economically and financially, is this something that's viable? And the reality is it's it's not. It's it's a hard game. So the truth being that I was also one of those that actually, as I said, I was influenced by family and everything and society that I said I can't be an artist. I don't want to be a fine artist. So I did a degree in uh, what was a a BA in multimedia design in early 2000. And I ended up working in the games industry, right? So I was five years as a games designer doing kind of front-end graphics. Now, the point being is that I was not an artist, but I was in the creative sector, but actually went in towards something that had prospects in terms of, you know, a salary, a regular job, so I was able to be creative, but also, you know, have what pleases the family, what pleases society, which is I have a, a regular, consistent job. Yeah. But that didn't last long. The truth being, as I said, after five years or so, I was becoming increasingly disillusioned and uh, I then left to be a full time artist. Oh,
2: Alhamdulillah. So you said a couple of really interesting things there, touching on, you know being creative, everybody being creative in the young age, but not following it through. So, and for you, that changed in university. So what what kind of challenges do you see with our communities? Like, do you see that changing now? Because like in the way I see things now, people are more open-minded. I see more and more people being more creative. But how do you see it now?
0: You know, from the days that I first started, you could probably count on one hand the number of artists, Muslim artists that were out there. I mean, kind of talking about early... 2000 is that around that time i mean there were there were certainly artists but not like how we have now i mean there's so many now and it's great to see to an extent it really is great to see the numbers of people that are now embracing creativity but at that that, at that time it was in fact it was quite exciting at that time to be part of a uh, i suppose when you are part of something in its early stages there's no way you could go you just have to just connect with the very few people that you'd you'd meet after so many years when I'd met Peter Sanders for the first time I was like seeking advice and you know all of this kind of stuff and Haji Nuruddin, the Chinese calligrapher it, everything's so available you know through the internet now through Facebook and social media Instagram you could see someone's art instantly just like that wherever they might be in the world so things have changed now and, now. and there's, there's a reason why things have flourished like how we see now but in those early days You you almost had to travel to meet artists. You'd almost have to really seek them out and be inspired by fellow Muslim artists. Why Muslim artists? Because, yes, you could seek inspiration from other artists as well. But Muslim artists you were particularly keen to connect with because you were also navigating the same world, if you like, which is how do we wrestle our faith and being in the West and all of this and how we kind of reconcile and how do we deal with some of the challenges and the conflicts. So it really was you were on a bit of a lone path, Mm. but it was also very exciting, as I said, because you were almost opening up new doorways. You were going into museums and galleries and theaters and taking your art form to an audience that were like, what the hell is this? I've never seen anything like this. We never knew that there was such a thing where someone could positively embrace their faith and be creative. You know, we thought there was a that was an oxymoron almost. So in that sense, I'd say things have certainly changed. Now we see so many artists. You go on Instagram and you look at Muslim artists, poets, musicians, uh, visual artists. You know, there is a whole load of stuff out there. However, I also feel that to an extent we may have progressed, but I also feel that it isn't just about the numbers. I would challenge and say that how far have we really moved forward Because are Muslims patrons of the arts? Are Muslims on the boards of arts organizations? Are they on the board of a mainstream art gallery in our cities that we live in in the West? Are they building institutions and having infrastructure and funding support for these emerging artists that are coming about? And my answer simply is, I don't think there is enough Mm -hmm. for nearly a couple of decades of development now of the Muslim arts evolving i still do feel that the progress we've made i would say to an extent there's a lot of work to be done still
1: i have a question Mohammed, and we kind of touched upon this offline as well beforehand and i think this would be a good point to talk about it is you know the new artists coming through now you mentioned that there's a certain element of reinventing the wheel and not necessarily learning from the mistakes made by the earlier artists like yourself i mean what kind of what kind of things do you think people entering the game now should look out for, should learn from people like you in order to build upon the legacy that you guys have started? I'd say,
0: I mean, it's certainly not just, just myself, but I'd say that there's a reason why that my experience can be of benefit and should be of benefit to new and emerging artists. It's because I've made mistakes that I would hope that my community can benefit from. I mean, because... Sometimes I think that knowledge that we might sit on, you know, to some extent, let me give you kind of probably an easier analogy. Just as a scholar who has this knowledge of the religion and it's their duty to then disseminate that information for the benefit of his community, his or her community. Likewise, I don't have any Islamic knowledge, but I tell you what, I've managed to navigate this crazy art world and somehow managed to consistently be in it and be a part of it right and I tell you what I would hope that I'm able to almost offload that information or share it and put it out there because I I feel like that if I don't do so then I'm taking this experience with me to the grave really I'm not I'm not able to share that knowledge and uh, the experience that I've or some of the strategies even or some of the approaches that I might have taken and I'm not saying they're always the right one but I tell you what for someone to be even just have that experience available to them for them to then build on it evolve with it maybe take some aspects of it there's always something benefit in everything so this is where i mention about the 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 evolution of this whole sector and the community that it, if there is those networks that are established better. I don't think there is enough. There is enough kind of networks of where we're able to kind of connect better, where the funders are connecting with the artists, the artists are Mm. connecting with their audiences. And there's a kind of infrastructure in place, right? Because my children, I I have three young children, I want them to be able to go somewhere. Where would they go where they can not only just learn this kind of skills of being an artist? I mean, there's art colleges and art schools for that, yes. But where can they go? and learn about those who have reconciled their faith and the creative arts and being able to navigate that in a way that's healthy and and has, uh, is something that has been positive. But at the moment, I just feel like that there's a little bit of them finding themselves and finding their own feet, whereas it doesn't have to be like that. I think as a community, uh, society, it's collectively our duty to be able to, yes, nurture many different aspects in society, of our communities. You know, we might be on top of our uh, game in, in many regards, whether it comes to establishing places of prayer for masjids, for, you know, in the cities that we live in, having prayer rooms in the, the business district of any city. Or we might have Islamic schools where you're able to have that kind of holistic approach an Islamic environment with, you know, all of that. But I tell you what, we, we kind of fall short here because when it comes to the arts, we are neglecting and society in general does neglect this
2: that's really interesting. So, like, I'm curious on your thoughts on this because uh, I would have thought the opposite. I just think uh, my my view is a very simplistic view because I haven't gone down that road. So I would think, like, an artist, if they want to become an artist, they can go to somewhere and get that education and get those skills and resources they need. But from the sounds of it, what you're saying is that being an Islamic artist, there's a lot more to it, but we don't have that facility. Is that is that right? Like, you think there needs to be more done for Islamic artists?
0: I think there's certainly resources and places for people to go to when it comes to, you know, learn the art of filmmaking Mm. and being a poet and whatever. But what I'm talking about is that when we want to see a reflection of ourselves, and that's what we often want and we actually yearn for, in fact, i.e. someone who might come from a similar background to yourself, Mm. right? Someone who might have trodden a similar path to yourself, so, for example, when we might see, let's use a very a brilliant example of of film and Riz Ahmed, for example. Yeah, when we see someone like that, and we're able to kind of identify with their story, their journey, and you kind of see yourself, there's something in that that is massively empowering when you're able to kind of like identify with someone who's from the same place as yourself. Yeah. Uh, And when I say same place, I don't mean literally the same place as in a physical place, but just in terms of whether it's uh, of immigrant background, someone of colour, someone who might be of working class background. When you see people or or someone who's, you know, faced racism and managed to challenge it and navigate it all and and kind of come out of it in a a successful way, I I think that's what's lacking at times. And uh, I think there is a need for that.
2: That's interesting. Yeah, because you're right. It's similar to this podcast, right? Like if you want to inspire people to do things. If they see someone in the same area as you doing something, like if you're starting a business, if you're an athlete, if if you're creating art, then it helps a lot more when you've got a role model that's been through the similar kind of uh, journey that you've been through. I'm curious as well. So going back to your story and your journey. So, you know, you grew up, you, you kind of went and got your education. You did a lot of traveling as well. And then when you came back, you set up Seoul City Arts. Could you just tell us a bit about that journey? In my early days,
0: when I started off as a, more so as a graffiti artist, really, that's kind of uh, where it all began for me. You know, I mean, what most people began to know me for, which was, oh, you're the Muslim graffiti artist. And that was great. Sorry, five weeks going off in the
1: background. Dramatic.
0: <laughs> okay. So going back to, for me, it started off initially as a graffiti artist. That's what I was known for. People would, you know, know me as the Muslim graffiti artist. I mean, I enjoyed doing that and i still am you know i still love painting murals you know there's nothing beats painting a an ugly concrete wall and bringing a bit of color and something of, of meaning as well you know it's not just about the aesthetics but something that says something that communicates something of value in the public space and nothing beats that feeling and i was enjoying sharing my work and traveling to you know major cities around the globe you know uh to nearly every continent. And I enjoyed that. You know, it was great be to be you get you know massive fulfillment of uh, being able to just share the thing that you love and be able to benefit others with that, with that bit of joy, that joy that you feel. You're able to help other people feel that and share that experience and teach people how to create, recreate that experience. So I I I love that. I was painting, I was involving communities, I was teaching. And what happened is Like with anything, I would say maybe around close to seven, eight, maybe 10 years even of painting murals, there came a point where you naturally must evolve as an artist, Mm. right? The truth being, how many walls can you really paint? It was just a case of just evolving and moving on really to an extent. So my own art form, my craft, I became more and more inquisitive about exploring with other mediums and I was exploring with film and sound, music, and theater even. And I was just exploring, I was I started getting into curating events and programs and putting on festivals. So in a broader sense, I started becoming really interested in in just the broader aspects of creativity and presenting that. So I founded an arts organization called Soul City Arts, which really was about creating that kind of wider platform. It was about looking beyond Just me as an individual artist, but actually creating platforms that might be able to provide structure, support, have a long term agenda strategy, if you like, which was about inviting other artists, hosting other artists, collaborating with other artists and using this system, if you like. It's what I spoke about earlier about that kind of having a kind of a network or a system in place that can be have a broader agenda rather than what I always describe. And it's it's quite relevant actually on a night like today. I always describe, uh, I always describe the art form as being like a, a set of fireworks going off, right? Yeah. Right. But why? Why I mean by that is just looking at my window when I see these this spectacle of these fireworks going off. That for me, when we create art, it becomes this kind of one-off spectacle that is this almost like beautiful moment but that's all it is it's just the fireworks go down and it settles and all that's left is dust it's just becomes a one-off golden moment and I wanted to go beyond that I don't want to just see these fireworks for one night only I want to see how we can encourage and nurture and develop and create something much more and that's where I started to think beyond my own art as an independent artist I thought what's the legacy here how are we going to create some structure even in terms of Documenting and archiving things, even this very recording you're listening to. how do we ensure that this recording can be heard in fifty years' time by somebody? How can we ensure that there's archive that would be available for people in years to come to study and look at the evolution of the Muslim communities in the West and how they manage to deal with the extraordinary situations? So this is why Soul City Arts and not just my organization, but just even looking at how partnering with with philanthropists and funding bodies and looking at what's the system look like, the overall kind of ecosystem.
2: Mm. It's really interesting hearing how you've gone on that journey and it's like your thought has evolved. You seem to have just generally you're thinking bigger picture now, which is really interesting to hear. Um, but there's a couple of things I just want to touch on. One, first of all, is your graffiti art is amazing. Looking at the work you did and stuff like that, because I don't want to just touch on that and just quickly move on. I think we just need to take a bit of a step back and just really appreciate, you know, you did some amazing work. I think, Anis, you were talking about very, very early on, you saw some of the work, didn't you?
1: Yeah, that's right. The My desktop PC that I had back in the day, my wallpaper was a mural of Mohammed's artwork that he did. Was it in Melbourne, Mohammed, The one with the thirst for change. That's right, yeah, that was in Melbourne 10 years ago, that was, yeah. I'm not much of a creative person, really not much into art, but I used to like graffiti, you know, sitting on the tube, on the train, and seeing all the graffiti works, and I always be fascinated by it. And when I came across Mohammed's work, where he fused Islam and graffiti together, it really appealed to me, you know, like, it was like he did that mural for me. So that really stood out for me. Thinking back in those days, if you saw
2: something like that, like, islamic street art then you're like wow this is so so cool because one is exactly what mohammed said before you can relate to that There's something about your culture your community and you're seeing that displayed as street art so it's really cool to see the other thing you mentioned as well you know you started evolving your art how did you start going into exploring and getting those ideas out on video or something else a different media
0: well you know me kind of evolving into this uh Kind of multimedia, multidisciplinary artist isn't something I've kind of done a full circle because you know what, it wasn't a new thing for me to explore with these new techniques, and I'll explain why. When I graduated, I I was working for five years in the games industry. I was already exploring with different mediums. It just so happens that graffiti art and a very visual thing, visual arts, was my thing as a full time artist. However, before I was known for being a visual artist, a painter, I was. Working in the games industry and in the games industry, I was doing a lot of the kind of graphics for these games, you know, that I was doing all the front end graphics. So before you go into the game itself, like you select the level, you select your players, all the buttons, all the yeah. backgrounds, all the things that make it look good before you go actually into the game. That kind of slick animation of the menus come and it's all very smooth. My game was about making something look good and feel good, right? That was my skill. So what I found from the games industry was that I was using color and composition. We were using kind of music and and the sounds and even touch, right? You know, when you touch the the, the yeah. joypad, it's vibrating. So one thing I learned from the games industry was that if you want to draw the viewer in, the gamer, you literally, you kind of immerse them in this world where you've got sight, sounds, touch, you know, all of these different expressions of these different disciplines if you get all of these right in the right measures, you have that person eating out of the palm of your hand. And you all know what I'm talking about when you talk to someone who's completely engrossed in their in their game, whether it's Fortnite or whatever. <laughs> like you're playing Fortnite and that person, I'm, to- I'm talking about my own children, they're yeah, the same, same as well, me. right? They do not know you exist. You're calling and shouting for them and they're like zombied out. So my point is, right?
2: So you're saying that's your fault?
0: <laughs> you know, you know, it's funny you put it that way because that's exactly the words I use. There came a point where I questioned my role and I was thinking the one thing I'm able to do is create these beautiful things. I didn't know much else. I tried all my life, I tried to be something that I wasn't. I could I wasn't very good at science and maths and everything else. I was stuck. I had this ability to create beautiful things, right? And the one ability that I had that Allah has blessed me with, alhamdulillah. I was using that to turn kids into zombies, right? <laughs> and I thought, nah, you know what? There's more to mm. life than this. It's time to, I can't, I can't be doing this anymore. So the point being is, why I said I'm doing a full circle in a way is because I'm kind of going back to employing some of these techniques and going, okay, ha- when I now go back to theatre and I do a live art form, which might have video projections and a certain choreographed piece of music, especially soundscapes and And using lighting and colours to immerse the viewer. That's what I've been able to do. I've been very excited when I do these kind of immersive type experiences and installations that I've been creating. Working with musicians and poets and lighting designers. And I've got a team of people that we're working with. Honestly, the results are magic because what you're creating in the games industry by having these kids turn into zombies, we were almost doing that with these productions, these multidisciplinary arts experiences we turned these people to zombies in a positive way because you were able to kind of have them just almost immersed and throw in there all this positivity and just positive vibes. And, and that was the beauty of it. I, I honestly feel we don't do that enough, you know. We need to kind of embrace immersive yeah. installation art, if you
1: like. You know, I never had an appreciation of that until very recently. I went to a... So there's a music composer called Ludvico He's an Italian composer... And I don't know if you've if you're aware of his work, but it gets featured in quite a lot of movies. And I remember he was in town, and I've been trying to go see this guy perform live. I managed to get tickets, so I booked I booked two tickets, one for me, and one for my wife. And then I told my wife like Listen, I've got these tickets," and she's like, "Who is he?" I was like, "Oh, this guy is a musical composer." And I went to YouTube and played. He was like oh, this depressing guy. I was like, "Look, he's not depressing, just, <laughs> you know. Just come with me." Anyway, she reluctantly came with me. And then we sat there staring at this guy playing the piano, and he had some supporting band members. But then, you know, what he did was it was a performance. Not only was he just playing his instruments, it was an opera house. It, it was like a little, subtle light show. And then he had a screen behind him with all these different moving images, like, you know, different graphics. So he kind of really sucked you in. It was a performance. Like, you had the music, you had the lighting, and then you had the images and stuff. It was just all came together really lightly and you could literally like feel the music it was a phenomenal experience for me and that's something that i've never experienced before but until you just mentioned it now i never appreciate that as much how everything comes together yeah i think
0: i think it's just pushing boundaries really i mean how do we create these kind of beautiful experiences that people you know we want to kind of entice them to come into our world
1: yeah i have a question Mohammed. we talk about art a lot we talked about islamic art but one of the areas i think we haven't touched upon is your journey of islam and how that got fused with the art side because you like us me and foz grew up in in a very insular community so I believe you grew up in sparkford birmingham which is a very immigrant dominated area what, what was what was the journey like for you in terms of like how the role islam played Towards getting into graffiti art and and towards where you are today.
0: I was born in a predominantly you know Muslim community and a very immigrant community, but at the same time I've also kind of uprooted from that community and moved into a, a you know the very opposite. In fact, life's been a it's been an interesting one where you're navigating different people and going on different journeys in life. And there was a point where I. I You know, I'd say I even lost my kind of identity, if you like, in terms of my Muslim identity, where I was, you know, struggling with it and trying to make sense of it. And who I was, an immigrant, the son of an immigrant who was born Muslim, but, you know, trying to navigate the world that we live in and British society and all of that. You know, as I said, I didn't really, I wasn't from a, a massively religious background. And although I was kind of had the basic principles and Alhamdulillah, I'm very grateful for that. But I'd say I went on a journey where Islam wasn't a big part of my life. And when I rediscovered it, if you like, you know, I went through kind of a journey of kind of losing myself and then rediscovering it again. I was quite fortunate in a way that me as an artist, I was a graffiti artist and that's what I was. That was, what, that was my form of expression. Why I was fortunate is because when I rediscovered my faith as a Muslim, I discovered, of course, the kind of rich, creative heritage that exists of Islamic patterns, calligraphy, beautiful visual expression that is, you know, dominant in Muslim arts, if you like. You know, if you look at the the prayer mats and the illumination of the Quranic manuscripts of how these floral and vegetal patterns and geometric patterns adorned the pages. And in the center was this beautiful calligraphic script that almost danced before you, you know, the curves and the balance of of the shapes that almost kind of jumping off the page. I was quite fortunate that in some ways it connected with me immediately Why? Because I I was a graffiti artist. And as a graffiti artist, we were already exploring with script and text. Because essentially, when you're painting a piece of graffiti on a wall, you were pushing the boundaries of text, of of the word. The central focus of the art was these words and how each letter kind of interlinked with the following. Now, when you look at the heart of what was Muslim creativity, it was also the decoration of the word. Of course, not the word of man, like what graffiti was, but the word of God. So interestingly, the melding together of these two these two worlds that kind of collided for me. there was this kind of beautiful marriage of the two, if you like, that actually I could create street graffiti inspired islamic influenced art, and that's exactly what I started to do. I started to kind of meld these two worlds together of islamic style graffiti, and at that time, there was almost nobody doing it. It was insane you know how how like I almost questioned it like. Why is it that if you looked at graffiti predominantly around the world, wherever you went, the only place we could find it were in before the days of the Internet were in imported kind of magazines from the U.S. and places. And, and we would be freezing films like, uh what were the films, like Beat Street, these m- American movies about kind of breakdancing. Mm-hmm. And you'd be pausing it just to see the graffiti on the wall. You'd pause it and you it's not like that still fraught pause you get on a DVD nowadays this was like it's flick it's flickering at the same time cuz it was VHS this is like v- VHS <laughs> days you know so that was the only exposure we had so we were discovering graffiti at that time and as i said what stunned me was When I discovered, rediscovered Muslim creativity, I realized there was no one in the the world doing graffiti that was kind of non-English Roman script. You know, it was always written in English. And wherever you go in the world, it was just always in English. It was almost as if we were just replicating what we saw that was exported from New York. And that's that's the case with everything, whether it comes to fashion or music. We were just exporting it out and just, that was it. We just imitated it. And what we weren't doing is, adopting it and making it our own, our own if you like mm. and that that's that's what was exciting when i was discovering my faith and then almost interpreting that through graffiti art and now we see so much of that all you need to do is go on instagram and you type in arabic graffiti and you see hundreds of artists but i tell you what in the in the early days it didn't exist you know there was you could count one or two people in the world that were doing it
2: it's fascinating how you how you described it the art within Islam and how creative it is it was really interesting hearing that I just want to move the conversation on because one of the things which I found really powerful but interesting was similar to the topic we discussed about before like when you're on a stage and you create you make it enticing that is your TED talk so you were invited by the Vatican to do a TEDx talk and then your talk was very very different like it's not your traditional talk it was all about you did a live mural you did and music really inspiring uh, background music on as well. Could you tell us a bit more about how that came about and what your thinking was behind that?
0: Sure. Probably about eight or nine years ago, I used to do a lot more media interviews and stuff. I mean, there was a time where I had a feature on CNN and and even BBC Newsnight. For those who know the BBC, I did like a slot on Jeremy Paxman's shows, like a ten minute slot. So there was a point where my work was kind of getting everywhere. And and it was a very conscious thing, by the way. I was adamant that the work that I do would get and be seen in every corner of the globe. You know, I was very, very focused in that sense. I was I had a strategic plan that I'm going to make sure the art that I do is going to get seen around the, the whole globe. And I want to inspire people. I want to make sure that people have something to, you know, to grasp onto here, to hold onto and, and, and motivate them. Something that I didn't have, you know, growing up as a Muslim. There wasn't anyone kind of doing anything like that at that time, which was Muslim graffiti. I was on, you know, things like BBC Radio 4 and they'd say, today we have, you know, someone who's referred to as the Muslim Banksy, you know. (laughs) The work I was doing was just kind of getting out there and and I was getting calls from places left, right and centre. It must have been about that period when I got the call from the Vatican where it was, a case of that invited me over and I couldn't believe my ears. You know, I was like, this is incredible. You know, here I am, a kid, son of an immigrant from the city of Birmingham in the UK. And I'm invited to the Vatican to just share something. And I pitched to them. I said, you know, I'd like to not only speak because, you know, the TEDx formats, are, you know, like a, a speech generally. But I, I, I said, oh, well, I'd like to paint something and create this kind of immersive performance with a soundtrack as well. You know what was incredible about it? They just allowed me to do whatever I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. The thing I like to share is that the Vatican allowing me as a Muslim from the UK to just do whatever the hell I wanted <laughs> to do. Nobody said to me, uh, Do you mind just telling us what you might be doing? <laughs> they had no foggies. They gave me the freedom. And I got to say, hats off to them for that, right? These guys were like incredible. They were, they're just that open spirit of just allowing me to come in and create without being nervous and sensitive about what am I doing. I mean look, it's a very high profile platform, you know, there was Gloria Estefan was one of the speakers as well, and there was a an NBA basketball player. There was a Kuwaiti princess as well. She was the only other Muslim on the lineup. So we kind of went into this it was like a thousand people watching. And you know what I did? I, I brought in some of the sounds you'd hear. You'd probably find it on the on the website on the internet, the session I gave. But you'll hear sounds that I'd held back from my was it my hajj? No, it wasn't my hajj. When I went for umrah. Yeah, umrah, I think umrah.
2: you said it on the stage. Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
0: that's right. So I didn't use, I didn't take a recorder with me on my hajj for a reason. I specifically only did it during my umrah. I was trying to preserve my hajj so that it was focused. I, I deliberately said, no creativity here, switch off. So when I went for my umrah, I'd recorded the sounds of, for those who might have gone, you might remember the sounds of hundreds of thousands of people making dhikr and supplication, right? That consistent hum, it's beautiful, it's mesmerizing, and I just was captivated by that sound. I had my audio recorder and I just recorded that sound of like 500,000 people just silently almost supplicating to, to Allah. You know, it was incredible. And I'd used that sound and I edited something as a, in the form of the soundscape within this performance. And, and the reason I'd held it back because I thought I gotta, I'm going to pull that one out for something special. And it just felt the right moment to use it in the Vatican, right? <laughs> to use the sounds of my pilgrimage wow. to Mecca, yeah, and not only that, I incorporated these Gregorian chants, these Christian Gregorian, quite beautiful sounds that that you'll hear, and and I almost blended them together in a way. You'd hear the Avan, you hear the the vicar, and then you hear these Gregorian chants. That I have to say, that was the performance where there was a whole line of people just in tears. Well, wow. it was actually there that that's what that's what happened there. It felt surreal. I I remember thinking. How am I here on this stage here in the Vatican? And I'm also on my return. How much does my community even know about this? Even till this day, I'd Mm -hmm. say, how much does my community know that the son of a migrant from Birmingham, UK, British Muslim was invited there? And I'll tell you why, yeah? Why it's important. Not just to kind of blow my trumpet, but it's more about empowering for another 100 Mohammeds to come forward and say, this is the space where we need to aspire to we can enter such spaces we can enter the vatican and quite openly be who we are and and be embraced if we don't kind of cherish these moments archive them and share them and let our communities know our successes or our achievements then we are going to be reinventing the wheel
1: it was amazing just hearing you tell us that story.
2: I'm going to put the links in our show notes to the video, but when I saw it, like, and he forwarded it to me and goes, check this out. And then when I saw it, I was like, wow. And then when I heard the Adhan come on you're right. It just encapsulates you. And then you're painting something, and then you like, wow, what is he making? And then you see the church, and you know, actually, I don't want to spoil it, actually. Go watch it. <laughs> so we're just going to move on to our tip section just to get some advice for our listeners so for people who are not actually inclined but maybe have wild imaginations what's the best place they can start to tap into those thought processes to make them more creative uh, let's see
1: so it's, it's more to do with like someone like me basically i don't consider myself to be very artistic but I might have some crazy ideas. I always saw, like, I can never do it kind of thing. Like, I can never be an artist. I can never draw. The closest thing I can draw is, like, a stick man or something like that. But there are other ways that I can express myself artistically, like these wild imaginations I have in my head. Like, how can I bring them to life? You know, you hear people say everyone's an artist. You just have to give it a go.
0: You're, You're absolutely right. Everyone's an artist. And quite literally, nowadays... When we might be formulating a Facebook status update or making a tweet in a very succinct, very short, very impactful way, or whether we're composing a shot for Instagram and you want to get the right composition of a picture, even if it's of your food, right? (laughs) All of these forms of expression that you're embracing, that everybody has in their pocket, these tools, right? And these platforms. I think we're already doing it. We're already being creative about how we... You know, I will say every nearly everyone's got an Instagram account, right? So actually, we, we're all thinking about telling a story in a compelling form through visuals. Mm. We all have the tools. We have these amazing cameras in our pockets, massive megapixel cameras that you can blow up and make into. And I, I've done that once. I did it with my phone and made a huge canvas. You'd be amazed the quality you can get from this, this device that's in our pockets. So actually, if we were to kind of think more about how we can hone our skills, i.e., you know, already we're doing it, thinking about composition and about color and, and and statements that we're making, you know, whether we're writing a story. Let's not think of the arts as being this distant abstract thing that we that is a little bit inaccessible for us. But the galleries are in our phones, you know, we don't have to go to that glitzy part of town to see these visuals. You pull out Instagram and you can go up and pull down images of your favorite artists just to kind of look at and and take inspiration from yeah and nearly every successful artist has a has a uh, instagram account where they are uploading their thoughts their processes their ideas their sketches even their rough sketches all of this is available so i'd say more than ever in the kind of information overload era that we live in uh, we have so many things available for us that we almost have no excuse
1: that's really good advice it's a good way of seeing it as well thanks for that and we're going to move it on to our quickfire round. We're just going to ask you a of question and your answers don't necessarily have to be quick. So I'll start off with the first one. What's your most memorable piece of work that you've done? Um, probably the mural I painted just
0: about 12, 12 years ago in New York, in the Bronx, actually, I painted over there. I painted a mural that was a commemoration for a family. There was a West African Malian family that were there was an apartment fire and about nine people died of the same family in this fire, including many children. So I went over there and I painted a mural as a kind of tribute to them. But not only was it a tribute, they—they they, the mother was helping me paint the mural. Oh, wow. This was literally months after the passing of her own children. So I had the entire family. The remainder was a very large family. The remainder of the family, the father, the mother, they'd all kind of come down and there was tears were shed. I mean, it, it makes me remember a unique moment where it made me really think about this bit of colour, a bit of pigment on a brick wall. And who would have thought that that, that would instil such emotion on a street corner in a, in the ghettos of New York? Mm-hmm. You know, my God, you know, this was kind of filled with such emotion. It really was a, a massive kind of a wake-up call in a way for me of of really the power of the arts.
1: Is, is that still around, that mural? Unfortunately,
0: the building was taken over and and it doesn't exist. But there is a film online that you could see. It's on my Vimeo channel. There's a good 25-minute film that was made about that that whole mural process.
2: Wow. I'll include that in the show notes as well. So the next question, best piece of advice you've received? (laughs) Right. There was an artist. I don't know where
0: he is anymore. He's probably one of the biggest mysteries of the Muslim art scene. This must have been about 17 years ago now. His name was Farouk Maloy, actually. He was a convert, an Englishman, and nobody knows where he is now. I've been looking for him for years and years. He once said to me, while I was speaking to him, and we were talking about the idea of time and how long it takes for a piece of art to be made. And I said to him, you know, a piece of art, a canvas I'm painting might take me two months, three months to make. But sometimes it might only take me a day to make, or it might even take me half a day well, let's even break it down further and say it only take me an hour to make. I said to him, how can I really, you know, when I'm selling that piece of art and the person is purchasing that painting, how can I really break it to them that it only took me an hour to make? Because surely I'm kind of shortchanging them a little bit. I'm sure they want, they want to hear that it took me a year to make. And he said to me, he said, that piece of art did not take you an hour to make. It's taken you 20 years to do that. Because for you to have the idea behind it, the inspiration, the mistakes that you've made over years and years and years, and then to be able to master the skills of then being able to execute that and do it in such a, a form that is so quick and easy for you. That's taken years and years of practice. So don't ever think that your art has just, it's only taken an hour or two to make because it hasn't. For you to execute it so brilliantly in that short space of time, has taken you years to get to that stage.
1: Wow. Well, that's so true. It's good advice. It took me 30 years to make this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so our next question is, what's something you can do that not many people know you can do?
0: Ah, I'm good at breaking up fights, you know. <laughs> I tell you, honestly, Honestly, I've got a skill for it because I used to work in my dad's restaurant, right? So ever since mm-hmm. the age of 11, my dad had an Indian restaurant. And as a, a growing man, from a young boy into going into as a man, I would be helping my dad in his restaurant. We were open till two in the morning. So sometimes you get some hooligans and people that you need to deal with. Yeah. So I was always very good at stepping in and managing to pull people apart. Literally, sometimes I would just I would just dive in and grab a guy and say, listen, you over there, you, I want you over there. So I was never, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was never shy. I would never shy away from kind of being a little bit of a peacemaker, really.
2: That's interesting because my dad used to have a little corner shop. Again, you would have the people come in, causing trouble, and maybe they've drank too much, and then they go to the local shop and cause a bit of trouble. My brother used to be that guy. He used to just break up the fights and then get involved and just push people away. I know what you mean there.
1: (laughs) So, before we head towards the final question, Mohammed, what's next for you? Like, what are you involved in nowadays? Well, I've got
0: my fingers in quite a few pies, really. I'm. You know, I've recently been appointed uh, a trustee of, of my major city museum, the Birmingham Museum Trust. So I'm kind of moving into strategic roles like that. did something recently, it was around kind of the archive of museums world. So I did an exhibition about the history of Indian restaurants in the UK. I spent two years researching the stories of migrant Bangladeshis, including my father's journey. And so I'm, I'm kind of working in the heritage and the museum sector and kind of bringing that to life. It's about recording oral histories and stories, preserving them, archiving them so that they're accessible for future generations, and then presenting them in extraordinary ways. And, you know, whether it's through a music performance or a kind of live installation performance, I've been taking some of these kind of oral histories, this kind of archival kind of um, content that I've been gathering from communities, uh, so I'm just enjoying that at the moment. I'm enjoying kind of working in the archives, working on a strategic level. I'm still painting murals. I'm doing performances. I'm working in the academia. I'm working in the, a few universities, University of Warwick, on a project called The Art of Empathy. It's very research-based, working with an at- academic and actually turning that into a kind of installation piece that's talking about kind of the lack of empathy that we have now and how we kind of almost disconnected from one another and don't see... You know, we kind of look at our screens and don't really feel we see the headlines and we don't see past the headlines.
1: Good. And we're going to put all the links to all the stuff that you're doing right now in the show notes as well so people can find you. Where can people find you? Like online, on social media? You can find me. I mean, if you put
0: in Mohammed Ali and artist after my name, you you have to put artists. Otherwise <laughs> I was going to say,
2: you yeah, might not get yeah, you.
0: Yeah. You could find me. And I'm on the usual Instagram. I mean, because I'm kind of evolving in terms of my name, Aerosah Arabic is not so much... What you'll find me as, but you, if you just fi- find me, Aerosol Ali or Ali Aerosol or Muhammad Ali Aerosol, I kind of generally use that. You'll find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and all the usual platforms like
2: that. I'll add the link to your stuff to our show notes, which is on our website. So before we let you go, we have one final signature question. Yeah, go for it. If you could choose one of your traits that you can pass on to your children, what would it be?
0: I've got no hesitation. It's confidence. And I'm not just talking confidence. I'm talking in your face, smack bang, here I am. This is what I've got to say. This is who I am and I'm not changing myself for nobody. That's the kind of confidence I want my children
2: to have. Inshallah, they have that confidence, man.
1: You shouldn't be afraid of who you are. Stay true to it. That's good. Well, Mohammed, it's been great having you on and hearing your journey. Like I said before, for me, like when I was growing up, when I saw your murals, I gravitated towards that. You know, he's from the UK and he's doing some amazing things. And hearing your story, it, it's a bit nostalgic for me as well. Yeah,
2: and for me personally, I really enjoyed hearing, you know, your journey from like an urban street artist to then you're actually thinking about your legacy and how you can leave things for other people. And this shows a like a, shows how you've matured through your art. Like you started as a street artist and now you're doing a lot more for other people and communities and um, leaving a legacy behind So yeah May mm-hmm. Allah reward you For your efforts And you know Keep up the amazing work mm-hmm. And we, we We look forward to Seeing the, your future content
0: Jazakallah Thank you bro
1: Bye Hey Before you hit the stop button If you like this episode Why not head over To our podcast page At OneFootInTheSync.com Or Wherever you get your podcast from And listen to our past episodes You can subscribe To our podcast We're on Apple, Android and Spotify. Thanks for listening. If you like the episode, make sure you leave us a review or get in touch with
2: us at info at onefootinthesync.com. I'm Foz. And I'm Denise, And you've been listening to One Foot in the Sink podcast.